Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today's program is a reflection and a recollection of the life and work of a dear friend, Dr. Jean Millay, who died in 2017. She was an artist, a biofeedback researcher, a parapsychologist, and a trance medium. Altogether, a wonderful person and a great mainstay of the parapsychological community in the Northern California area. I'm going to be joined today by Gail Hasen who is the host of the Small Medium at Large podcast, a student of shamanism who holds a, uh, an honorary doctoral diploma from the Mongolian Academy of Sciences. Gail is based in Sebastopol, California. And now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Gail. It's a great pleasure to be with you once again. Thank you so much for having me back, Jeffrey. And we're going to be talking about Jean Millay, who was a dear friend uh, of both of us. So th this is going to be a very, very pleasant conversation. I remember back, it must have been 1971 or so, the very first time I met Jean, she was a speaker at a uh, conference on parapsychology that was sponsored by uh, the University of California at Davis, as I recall. I think Charlie Tart organized it with uh, all the leading Bay Area parapsychologists, and they were demonstrating Jean's uh, brainwave trainer, her, her, her art uh, it was really an art, an artistic device, a light sculpture, I believe, is what she called it. And, and uh, even by then, before I had ever really made a start in the field, Jean was quite well established amongst the parapsychologists in Northern California. Yes, she's quite. A, she's quite a connected woman, and even though she's not with us, I still feel we're connected to her. She had a very large spirit. I know every time I was with Jean, there was just this, I it would have to call it, and I don't mean to be sentimental, but a vibration of love uh, seemed to surround her. And sensuality and passion and aliveness. And she she remained, you know, she had a youthful spirit also. She was game to do what anything. In fact, I have a photo of her at 80-something years old on the back of her daughter's motorcycle in Hawaii, <laughs> which she sent me saying, mother on back of motorcycle with daughter. <laughs> There's not a lot of people at that age that would just jump on and do such a thing. Well, as I recall, and I, I assume it's probably on this occasion, you were taking care of Jean in her last days. She was living in your home. She was uh, with you until she went to Hawaii, where her daughter lived, and, and that's where she died. Yes. 
she she died two months after she left here. So she was the things that happened here at my house were the final things you do in you know it's always like a lot of work in death. You can't just die, you have to take care of a lot of things. And though she knew that that was happening, so she was, you know, she had a lot of possessions and things that were brought here to my house that she gave to her nephew and different family and people. And she had, you know, umpteen amounts of journals and books and things of which she left uh, one bag full here and things went to the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Uh, we had to bring her, we brought her and her partner who she'd been with for 20 something years. Daryl. 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 Daryl and her, I, I was taking, I mean, I hope I don't, I'm going to sh- surely get emotional through some of this, but I was taking photographs of her and Daryl as they were saying goodbye to each other because Daryl's family wasn't going to let Jean come there to also have to be taken care of and their, their, their own father. And, um, Jean had invited him because his daughter said, if you want to bring him to Hawaii, that's okay. But he wasn't really wanting to travel to Hawaii either. So they had to part ways and say goodbye to each other. And I was standing in the room when that was all happening. And it was a very touching and dear moment. And she decided that I didn't know I wanted to do whatever I could do to make her happy and do whatever I can to assist whatever it was she needed to be done. And the only thing she wanted was a large party here. And um, she stayed for, I think, one or two weeks. This was our our last time together. And Daryl stayed for one week together, so I took care of both of them for a week. Then we had to do the goodbye for that. And then I did shamanic cleansing on the two of them on 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 my porch, and we shared lots of lovely stories. So she said, I would like to say goodbye to all my friends, and if they could all come here, that's what I would like. So I said, okay, you invite whoever you want, and uh, I'll prepare food and make appetizers and things so they'll have stuff here for them to eat. And I didn't know who was coming to our house. And my husband David and I, and Jean and Stanley Krippner, because Stanley Krippner came to spend the night so they could have some private time together because they, they both affected each other's careers and life immensely. In fact, He's writing an autobiography right now, Stanley Krippner, and we just had some photos and exchanges of things because he's writing about what Gene Millay influenced him in his life and the Grateful Dead, you know, Mickey, meeting Mickey Hart and all the things that happened because of his interaction with Gene. So we're watching these two videos that she and uh, Stanley wanted to watch that evening before the next day's party. And one of them is on a network called Vice. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, the Vice Channel or Vice Network. And it's called um, The Lazy Lizards Hedonist something. It's a long title, but I think if you title in just The the Lizard and the Lazy Hedonist, Hedonist, you'll find it. And it's the story, and she's in that film, by the way. So if you want to see her speaking also... But it's centered around uh, Daryl and the secret lab that he had uh, creating uh, MDMA or MDA or one of those particular things, ecstasy or whatever they call it now. And um, 
they went to the land where she was living with him, you know, and they were really living, you know, very rustic up on, up on their land and very, very happily and being in touch with nature. And so they did a, a part of that film is with her and him having the interview there at their house. So if you get a chance, you really should see that. And then the other uh, film we watched was called The Sunshine Boys. And it was the story of uh, how somewhere, I think it was in Windsor, not far from here, there's a house where all these guys were creating orange sunshine. And this LSD was going to, you know, hit the country by storm or whatever. It was an amazing LSD. And um, we're watching these features and we're seeing all the different people being interviewed. And the next day, David said it felt like this movie we'd been we'd, we'd watched once, where the characters were popping out of the television, because all these people came walking through our door that we'd just seen in the movie. <laughs> so in came all these people. There were thirty-eight people that showed up, and one person commented that, "Did I realize that millions and millions of hits of acid were created by the few people that were in my living room?" And another person mentioned how the IQ level of the people in this room right now would blow the roof off your off your house. <laughs> so we were sitting around, and my husband and I were in awe at the brilliance and the minds and the amazing people that were coming to see their gene. And she had just a wonderful time. She made everyone sit in a circle and tell them how they met her and what were they doing in their life right now. And when you were seeing some of these people, I, I can't remember what this, it's a Japanese friend of hers, very fine scientist. I can't remember his name, but anyways, I think he was in his mid eighties. My, my kitchen had walkers and canes and all these things in there. <laughs> and these people's minds were as brilliant. I mean, it was jaw dropping the things that they were saying they would, didn't matter that they were in their eighties. They were studying new brain theories and new amazing things. They were not sitting just being a lump somewhere, you know? <laughs> so this was her little, you know, her, her time that we did this. But I have very, you know, you can ask me, I have very many special stories to say about Jean, but I'll wait to hear what you want to know. <laughs> well, I think it's useful to to mention that, that and, and you've really talked about it, Jean had a background that, uh, included association with many of the pioneers of the uh, psychedelic movement. She was also married for a while to uh, the famous tabla player, Alaraka, who performed many times with Ravi Shankar and who was the father of another very famous tabla player and actor, Zakir Hussain. Now, she never ever said to me they married. In fact, I do have a picture of her she sent me. Unfortunately, for some reason, my 200,000 emails have been wiped away. And so I'll never be able to reach back into all these things. But she sent me this, this photo of her at a, a music session with Alaraka and Ravi Shankar. And what she had shared with me, as far as I know, is that Alaraka was married to someone in India. And when her and Alaraka got together, Ravi Shankar was very, very angry about this and did not want their relationship to happen. So I not, I never, she never mentioned to me that she married him. So I don't know about that part, but I do know how much Alaraka 
influenced her life and her son. His teaching her son how to drum helped him through many different psychological situations he was in that he needed help, and the drumming was the thing that really helped him to get through some of this. She um, also mentioned that in this photo, you can see Ravi Shankar has turned his head and he's looking at her like this with a very look of disdain that <laughs> she's sitting there with the, you know, the group of musicians. And she looked beautiful and she was all dressed in Indian clothing and just looking as beautiful and glowing as ever. And she said, I know he didn't just, he disapproved of our relationship, but our relationship was meant to happen. And all these things, you know, all these positive things happened in her life and for others because of her relationship with that man. I, as I recall, now that you mention it, she referred to it as sort of a common law marriage. Uh, Be correct. <laughs> But it was as a result of her um, a connection with Alaraka, I gather, that she also was connected with the Grateful Dead. Or maybe it's the other way around, for all I know. She lived in Southern California, I think Moss Beach or somewhere south of where I am. And she had a house and the Grateful Dead would play on the roof. They would come up and play there. And somewhere... I'm not sure what was going on, but I think she was in New York doing something also in New York. There was like a barge that she lived on in New York for a while, and people would come there and see her. And she had met Stanley Krippner, and I don't know if she invited Stanley Krippner to the party, or I'm not exactly sure, but Stanley will say it in his autobiography. And somewhere in that, all three of them are connected together. But my feeling is, as much as I can remember, it was Jean who really brought them all there together. But I can't say for sure because I've heard so many stories. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about your own experience with Jean. I am under the impression that the the bond that connected you so closely with Jean is largely around uh, shamanism. It was actually, it started because I was so attracted to her when she was speaking at an IRVA conference, International Remote Viewing Association conference, and she was on the stage and she was giving a talk. And when she finished the talk, I think I said to Russell, can you introduce me to her? I have to meet this woman. So Russell introduced me to Jean, and she was there because her granddaughter was giving her a ride and drove her all the way to the conference. It was in uh, Nevada, in Las Vegas somewhere. And her her granddaughter picked her up in uh, where she lived, which was not far off the border of Nevada, past Reno, up in that area. And uh, so the granddaughter brought her. And when after I met her and we talked, and she said that she'd be leaving now with the, her granddaughter, I said, oh, I said, you can't leave without me giving you food and things and whatever. And I packed up a whole little, like, to-go box for her to have in the car when they left. And I just said to her, I hope I see you again someday. I just love you. And so then I go to another conference, this um, shamanism conference that was held for over 30-something years at the Santa Sabina Center in San Rafael. And a woman, Ruth Inga Hines, an amazing uh, woman who was the most incredible knowledge on Asian shamanism in, in America or maybe the world, for all I know. She was a brilliant woman. And Jean was sort of like her, 
her co-buddy in this conference. She didn't help her run the conference, but she always sat with her and was there and helped her out if she needed something. And so I found Jean again. And I was like, now this time I'm never losing you. <laughs> you know, like I wanted her contacts and her informations and all these other things. And she felt the same way to me. So that's where we had our bond at the shamanism conference. And I'll never forget us sitting in her car and she, and we're smoking a pipe together. And as we're smoking the pipe, she's convincing me how important it is for me to give a talk at a conference. And it was her and uh, Ruth Inga Hines who I went to the, I got to see the end of the Dakin house where they had all the talks. Jean took me to see the last like talk that was given there. So I got to see the ends of the apartment and the place and where you all used to go in the older days. And she, um, she and I became sort of conference hoppers. And so if she wanted to go to a conference, but she couldn't go or she couldn't afford it or she couldn't get the ride, I would pay for it, get her the ticket, and we would just go together. And so we shared, you know, hotel rooms in different places so that we could attend different conferences. The last conference that we got to be together at was in Kansas, the, um, yes. And we went together twice. And we, you know, I, I said to her, I can't stay in one of those little bunk beds. And she was saying, I'm in too much pain. I, my back is killing me. I said, let's get a hotel and we'll drive to the conference every day. And wherever we went, there would be so many people that would be so happy to see her. Younger people, older people, people that had met her before. She was just, as David says, she was a force of nature. I mean, she's just an amazing energy. And... I was very, before I came out of the talking closet, <laughs> I had been very scared and shy and whatever that, why would anyone want to hear anything I have to say at this shamanism conference and la, 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 la. And it was her, you know, it was her who got me up there, her and Ruth Inga, or I never would have done that. And I was talking in front of 80 or 100 people, you know, of similar like-minded things and a whole new world opened for me the next 15 years after that, because we met in early 2000. I can't remember if it was 2002 or, you know, somewhere in that time. And um, I really, I never got to meet her daughter until after she passed and um, her daughter came here, but we've become friends. In fact, I'm wearing Jean's dress right now that her daughter sent me after she passed away and it has her name in the back of the dress. I think this was one of the things she wore when she was dealing with different illness, so she had to be known. I'm not, not sure why her name is in the dress, but I cherish it very dearly. And I was it's a dress I've seen her wear and walk and be in. So we did other interesting things to do together. We did a seance together. We did a... Um, Somebody needed a spirit eliminated from their house, so she said, let's go, and we went off and did an exorcism in Forestville to somebody who I don't even know, and neither did she, but they had a calling that we had to come, and we did. And um, she included me in her book, Radiant Minds, which I didn't feel like, what would I be doing in there? But she wanted to honor subjects. She said, nobody ever writes the name or the story of the subjects. They just write about the data and the information. And she wanted to have some subjects highlighted there. So I was like, I can't believe you want me in your book. You know, so she just did so many wonderful things for me. I 
wish he was here with us still today and we were going off to another conference together. I can tell you that because, um, you know, she was a mentor for me also. And, you know, I can only reach her in spirit now. But I have to tell you, that woman has a strong spirit and she comes through only positive. She never makes you feel you should cry about her being gone. She makes you feel like she's really still here with you. Well, it's very rare that somebody can combine a uh, scientific interest in a very technical subject like biofeedback, which was her specialty, with a mediumistic talent. And you mentioned seances. I've also been in seances with Jean when she channeled her spirit guide, Ronak. I, that must have been very interesting, right? That we didn't do. We were, we were, I'm not sure who, we were working on a specific person. How was that experience for you? As I recall, she came over to my house for dinner on one occasion and, and brought along Virginia Satir, a very famous psychologist. In fact, the, the whole field of neuro-linguistic programming is largely based on uh, studying the uh, psychotherapeutic techniques of Virginia Satir. And Virginia was just totally enthralled with Jean. And uh, we had dinner together. And afterwards, Jean went into a trance and, and did a channeling. Ronak came through. And uh, I, I don't think uh, very much specific information came through on, on that particular occasion. But it does seem to me, you and Jean now, as you've expressed it, had a, a two common interests, one in shamanism and the other in remote viewing. And of course, she's published a book, Multidimensional Mind, which is all about remote viewing. That's a very comprehensive book for anybody that, I'm not sure if you can still get it on Amazon or how that works. It's available. It's yes, available? It oh, great. She left me a few copies that she said, you'll know which persons you should give these to. And she was right, because when the person appeared, I'd give them her book. And uh, anyone that's you know interested in remote viewing should see that, because she has all these photos and the remote viewings. I've never seen that collection like that published in a book. Mm -hmm. That was a, and in fact, Ruth Inga Hines put up the money for that book to be published for her. And another interesting fact about Jean is that when she got together with Daryl, they lived, as you mentioned, sort of on, on the California-Nevada border. They were so remote, living way up in the Sierra Nevadas, they were, in effect, off the grid. If you wanted to contact Jean uh, certain hours of the week, she would connect her cell phone to a battery so, so that she could communicate with the outside world. But she, she was really totally living with Daryl and nature. Not only that, imagine she was living there in nature with her computer that could only be put on for a certain amount of hours. She was a, a graphic com computer genius. And just, I mean, I can't do any of these things this woman can do on a computer. I could, I, I'm lucky I could just get my email and Skype with you. But she could do unbelievable things. And so in that little tiny building, or little tiny house that she was living with the on and off electricity... She was producing her books, getting radiant minds going, writing and collecting amazing stories for her family. She she did some beautiful, you know, stories of the history of the generations of her family for her family. She made unbelievable. 
And she was an amazing, she never stopped. She was an amazing producer of things like this. And it didn't matter that she only had electricity for a few hours here and there. You know, that the washing machine only came on once or whatever, you know. <laughs> we loved going up to visit her there, I have to say. And we, we the only place there was for us to sleep, we slept on the floor in Daryl's uh little personal workshop laboratory kind of place that he had that was very teeny, but there was just enough for us to lay two sleeping bags on the floor. And then the sunrise there, she she did a continued thing of, she called it Birdsong Meadow, and he had planted, I can't remember, it was a thousand trees, some incredible amount of trees that he watered and nurtured and cared for them to grow. I was just really glad that we made it there. People that, it was on the way to Burning Man. So if you wanted to go to Burning Man, you could stop at Jeans on your way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it might also be useful to talk about her death. I know you weren't there at the time, but um, you've told me the story. And I understand that, you know, she's one of the few people, along with Aldous Huxley, who, uh, who took uh, a strong psychedelic at the moment of death. I want to tell this story, but I have to give it a little pre-whatever thing. Uh, Stanley Krippner had called and asked me if um, I would like to join him with a couple of uh, friends. This wasn't specifically for science or anything like this. This was just this man wanted to get together and see whether you could do table raising. Because at one of the, might have been a parapsychology conference, Video was shown of a man in Russia and him, uh, you know, raising a table. And when this man who was in the audience saw that, he said to Stanley, I want to go home and try that and see whether we can do this table raising thing. So I got invited to the table raising thing and I was telling Jean about it. And I said to her, I don't know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> they didn't say anything. They just said, come and raise a table. So, like, I didn't know. Was I supposed to go into remote viewing? Was I supposed to be precognitive? I mean, I wasn't sure what was I supposed to use to do this. So she says to me, which was not what the people were saying there, she said to me, you contact spirits. She said, and the spirits are who you work through for the table to, to raise. And I was like, Okay, I don't know anything about this with the, the table and the spirits, but I'll mention it to our group. So I mentioned to the group that Jean has suggested that we think of someone who would be sort of open to table tipping and that we would have that spirit invited in to help us along with our task that we're trying to do. So there was some objection about it that we weren't looking for a seance or a spiritual thing. We were just trying to levitate the table only. So I said, okay. <laughs> and we had some very exciting, interesting table experiences there. But I went back and I had said to Jean, you know, I'm not sure what the next thing is or how it's going to be. And she had passed away. So during the time that she passed away or that she was passing and her daughter was taking care of her in Hawaii, and the reason I know this information is because when we had Jean's memorial, not memorial, but celebration of life or, you know, we had her ashes because she wanted her ashes to be spread at, at Birdsong and Meadow there. And, um, but I do have a vial of her ashes here because the people there knew I'd want some and they put some in a vial for me. So I was really touched. 
So I keep her next to my dad's ashes and a couple other people's ashes. And um, her daughter, when she came and brought the ashes, she told the story of what Jean's last few days of life were. And in her last few days, she wanted to do something I've heard so many people say they're going to do, but she's the only one I know that actually did this, which is she was in the, the, the last throes where they were feeding her intravenously through the stomach because of the swallowing issue, not being able to swallow. And she had her daughter grind up into a powder LSD that was from the 60s, which is nothing like the LSD that the people are taking of this day. The dosage was, I don't know, six times stronger than whatever we see today. Something like that. I don't know, because I haven't had any, but um, she had it ground up, and her and her daughter did amazing, like, healings with each other of everything of their lives during this experience. And Jean passed on tripping on acid. And I thought, I, I didn't know that at the time, but when I knew she was passing and I was here, it was the first time, because I'm usually very connected in death with people. It's just part of my, you know, the thing that's more of my tap, whatever the thing that I'm easy for me is dealing with death things and death. And it was the first death that was coming and I was feeling it, but I had no idea she was tripping, but I felt no sadness. Like I couldn't understand. I love this woman and every person that I love when they're dying, I'm feeling deep emotion because that's who I am. I'm an emotional person and I can't stop releasing my feelings. With her, I couldn't feel anything but joy. So I couldn't understand. I said, but I love her. How come I'm not crying? So it's only when I find out at this service that the reason I'm not crying is because she's going out on acid and having a glorious departure. So now this brings us back to the table tipping group. We're at the table tipping group and we are, you know, our immediate group is five people. Sometimes a few months later, we had two scientists that joined us, but when we had done these things before, we have had the experience of spirits dropping in. And one or the two of, of us, myself and another medium that's there, we have very strong images. And so when we were doing something there with the table tipping, all of a sudden I saw these images of someone she had just been with who had just died, her friend's, uh, her son's friend. So I gave full descriptions. I even was like, this is what he likes. This is what he does. So we'd had this happen before in our table tipping. So we're there, and I said, you know, let's bring Jean here. I said, because she's the one who said we should be doing this a little differently, contacting spirit. I said, let's see what happens if we bring Jean in. And when we would do this, the th we started putting a candle in the middle of the table. Things started happening. When these spirits seem to enter, you get this kind of a breeze going through the room, and then these temperature changes, even though all the doors and windows are shut, it's like all of a sudden incredibly cold and incredibly hot. And the next thing you know, you can feel Jean's presence. 
Well, Stanley Krippner's in our group, and he tends to fall asleep during some of these things, which I think is him going into a deeper place and connecting on a deeper level. So as soon as we connect with Gene, he's deep asleep, and it's me and the other medium and two other people who are husband and wife team. And I'm sitting there, and we're starting about the gene, and the, the, the preface here is that these two women, one a medium, one not, have never heard of Jean Millay in their life. They don't know who she is, anything about her, or anything. And the French medium says, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm on LSD. And, and the thing is, I've never even taken that drug, so I don't even know what it's like, but I feel like I'm on that right now. And I said to her, I think we're connecting to Jean, because I didn't tell them this story yet. I told the story at the end after we finished the table tipping and told Stanley, who was thrilled. He was so happy to hear this. The other woman, who's not a medium, just a very nice woman who's, you know, in touch with doing these little things here at her house. She starts saying, I keep seeing stars and brightness and light. It's something about light and stars and light. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, she made this light machine, you know? <laughs> and I, I, I have it right here, but you don't want me to show it. But, you know, she had her, her light, her light chart, you know, but you know, that chart. So I have one right here next to me. And, um, she was studying light. Light was one of the things she had done, you know, scientific measurements and all these things. So I'm thinking to myself, how could these people, two of them, who never even heard this woman's name in their life, come up with all this intimate information about her? And I, I, it was just a wonderful, like, it was not like a sad kind of spirit connection. It was just lively and alive and happy. And the woman just kept saying, I'm really, I feel so good here, you know? <laughs> so that was our connecting to Jean story. I've just released the first interview with you on the New Thinking Aloud channel, and we're about to release uh, an interview with Gene, and you were watching it from the original Thinking Aloud series, an interview that was made 20 years ago or more. And, and you said you thought you felt Gene's presence uh, just while you were watching it. Seeing her that many years younger and hearing her beautiful voice, I can't tell you, it was like she was right here with us being her. I mean, she could be feeding me chocolate macadamia nuts right now, you know? <laughs> she always loved to bring chocolate covered macadamia nuts when she'd come here. And um, she uh, was, she was so brilliant you know, I was hearing excerpts of all these different stories, but at that time when you were interviewing, she was in the throw of doing all those things. I'm hearing it many, many, many years later. So your, your friend, Saul Paul, I, I heard his name so many times, but I can't tell you what the relationship was until you sent me that piece. So now I know where it all fits in. Yes, Saul Paul, one of my very best friends, shared an apartment with Jean for many years. Well, I, she only had the most wonderful stories to tell about him. I, I don't know who he is, but I feel like 
he was so close and hearing so many things. He was so much part of her, her life and time. Well, he's been interviewed on the New Thinking Aloud channel many times. He's a mathematician and physicist who is a specialist on consciousness and hyperspace. And I know uh, the subtitle of her book, Multidimensional Mind, is called Remote Viewing and Hyperspace. So, Saul Paul had a real impact on, on her and, and as well as uh, many of us in the parapsychology community. Well, she was the one who was encouraging me over and over. She said, you and Dean must work together. I know the two of you must work together. And Dean and I have come up with, we've, we've had some nice results in experiments and things we've done. And we have a very nice friendship. And she was telling me this way ahead before all of this was going to happen. This is who you need to do stuff with. This is what should happen. And, and that is what happened. We did spend a few years there together. So... <laughs> her encouragement, you know, I'm just saying she was the best mentor I could ever have in encouraging me to continue in this particular field of things of the paranormal nature and the parapsychology. And I, I have to thank her for her encouragement because she was seeing things that in me that I wasn't seeing and she was supporting that I follow through and have a voice. I regard Jean Millay as a real blessing to everybody who knew her. She was a very key figure in uh, the Bay Area parapsychology community uh, going back to the 1970s. It was a very strong, close-knit community that did a lot of significant research, as is documented in Jean's, uh, the book she edited called uh, Radiant Minds for which, incidentally, uh, she asked me to write the introduction. And, and she did that because she knew I, I did have a paper to contribute, but I got far behind and didn't contribute it. And she came and she said, this is your only chance to be in the book. I want you to write the, the introduction for it. So, uh, <laughs> so she, she was a huge help. And you mentioned Dean. I know you meant Dean Radin, but Jean also introduced me to Dean Brown, her, who was her employer for many years uh, when she worked as a computer graphic artist. He had a company called Picadine that made educational software. And as a result of Jean introduction uh, to me, I, I, Dean Brown and I became best friends. For whatever reason, I always come in at the dying section. That's when I met Timothy Leary, and that's when I met Dean Brown. And I can't remember if we took her there with us or if we met her there. I don't remember how we got to Dean Brown's bedroom, but my husband and I were sitting in bed, laying in bed with him because he was very ill then. And uh, we had this just wonderful time, this loving connection. And I'm thinking, here's this person who's, you know, usually when you're dealing with a dying time and you're getting to that parts of life, you're not necessarily wanting two strangers you've never met to come to your house. But he did. And he welcomed us in and he loved our time together. And it was really, it was very, very sweet. And if not for her, I never would have met the amazing Dean Brown. 
Well, I know uh, Gene was a very instrumental person in, in his life and vice versa. And uh, as I think back about this circle of friends, Saul Paul and Gene and Henry Dakin and you and Dean Radin and Russell Targ, uh, uh, it became a very close-knit group of people because of people like Gene Millay, who was so outgoing and, and so to my way of thinking, so loving with everyone she knew. Very warm and loving. In fact, when David and I watched the interview of the two of you looking into each other's eyes, I saw nothing but love and sensual, like just adoringness between the two of you. It was such a beautiful thing to see. I'm so glad that you're going to post that. Uh, in fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to link to it. People can look at the uh, right side of their screen, and I'll make sure they'll, they're able to view this uh, video with Jean. And it's, it's one of several, as a matter of fact. She had talked to me about her light sculpture for years, but seeing that video of it with her, with the headsets on, all hooked up to the machines and the beautiful, you know, 60s kind of color light thingies coming out in the patterns... I finally grasped what she was trying to tell me about it, but it didn't, I couldn't understand the scientific and the things in the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere until I saw that. So I'm really glad. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, it's like she's still teaching me even though she's not there. <laughs> uh, so that was really great to understand. And I really, and she, you know, that was one of her, that was exhibited because of Stanley. Stanley was the one who helped her to have that exhibited at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and that was a very, very height for her in her career of things she was doing. That was something that really meant a tremendous amount to her. Well, her career spanned many different possibilities, from being a school teacher and a fine artist to a biofeedback researcher, a parapsychology researcher, and a, a general connector of people. She was also doing billboards. And she was posing for some of them. And I, I'm just saying, she, like, what an amazing woman. Multi-talented. Well, Gail Hasten, this has been another delightful conversation, especially since uh, we're talking about a, a dear friend who we both love. And uh, I'm so happy to be able to share more of your memories with the New Thinking Aloud audience. Before you wrote me, I think it was only a week ago, to ask if I would like to do an interview about Jean Millay. The woman who took over the shamanism conference, Lucy, came to my house because she wanted us to do a sort of, whatever, I don't call it a seance, but whatever, where we would connect to Ruth Inga Hines and Jean Millay. And this was before you asked. And I'm thinking to myself, all of a sudden, Jean, and then my, then my Facebook picture popped popped up and it was a picture of Jean at the Kansas conference all of a sudden. And it was like this whole wave of Jean came. And then you said, would you like to see this show? And then would you like to interview about it? And I said, whoa, she said, you know, all we did was decide we wanted to bring her in and have a little connection. And it was just sort of, we sat on my balcony and I did different shamanic um, sounds from my jaw harp and other instruments and then we lit a candle and we just touched our fingertips together and we just felt the presence of her. And both Lucy and I just, you know, it was just like 
we felt so good after, like we'd really had a connection and it felt really good. And then you brought her in. <laughs> well, because of your deep interest in shamanism, I guess, you know, reaching out and connecting with people on the other side uh, is, it comes pretty naturally. It does. It, if I always just say, I don't know if anything will happen. Maybe something will happen. I don't know. I just go blindly in and see what occurs. And I just have to, I just take my, you know, my mind and my thoughts and I put them away to the side and then let whatever thing comes through, come through. But I can't, you know, I'm not one of these people that says, oh, I can do any of this anytime. I don't know. Sometimes you have a connection. Well, I think the universe is smiling on us now just for remembering such a radiant person as Jean Millay. It's an honor to have been able to speak about her today, and I love her, and she's loved by many. Well, Gail, once again, thank you so much for being with me. I look forward to more conversations with you on the New Thinking Aloud channel. We haven't even begun to talk about your adventures in places like Mongolia, where you received a doctoral diploma from the Mongolian Academy of Science. So that's a story for another day. But we look forward to sharing as many stories as I can with you. And I love being here. So I hope your audience is enjoying it as much as we are. And for those of you listening and watching, thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.